0: you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, the third chapter, and the 16th verse. The book of John, the third chapter, and the 16th verse. And we're going to talk today about another aspect of simplifying Christmas. Anybody's Christmas gotten any complicated this year? Anybody's had a little complication come along? Ours has. Um, it's just the nature of it. And We've been talking for these weeks about simplifying Christmas or simply celebrating Christmas, and in reality, that's a lot easier said than done. Amen? It's a lot easier to say we're just going to simply reflect and we're going to simply give and we're going to simply trust. It's a lot easier to say that than to do that. Well, today we're going to talk about the next step and really the only step that matters if you're going to celebrate Christmas properly. Today is the only thing that really matters if you're going to celebrate Christmas properly. Now, many of you probably think, well, I know exactly where he's going. It's John 3.16. We know John 3.16, even though he kind of tried to trick us and Not say John 3.16. He said go to John in the third chapter in the 16th verse. We know what John 3.16 is. I can quote it for him. I don't even have to look at it. I didn't even turn my Bible there because I know what John 3.16 is. You want to say it together? Okay. I want you to be able to show. You know, I've been in seminary for a week. And what you learn, and I've told you this, in seminary is there are those people that ask questions for genuine understanding. And there are those people that ask questions just to let everybody else know what they know. Well, I want to give you a chance to let everybody know what you know, all right? And so John 3.16, the most popular, well-known verse in Scripture. Uh, it, it became, it's been popular for centuries, pro- perhaps never more so than in the 80s and 90s when there was that rainbow-wigged man uh, at sporting events holding up the John 3.16 sign. We know what it says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen is one of those verses that I memorize so early that when I say it I revert to King James. Right? Now there are some of you that that Every verse you memorize reverts to the King James. But for me, I started memorizing verses in the NIV as I got older. But John 3.16 was one I learned so early. It and the 23rd Psalm, right? They're the only times in life I ever put the s at the end of stuff. For he who that believeth, right? Um, John In and, and Psalm 23, it's he leadeth me, right? And we, you, don't, you don't say that, right? You don't say that in regular life. Nobody puts the s at the end, um, you don't say, my husband leadeth me, right? Some of you don't say that because it's not true. But, I mean, if you were going to say that, you wouldn't say, yeah. But we get there, we know it. It's just become a part of who we are. Here's the thing I saw, though, in a poll. It said that um, a Gallup did a poll. They were doing a poll about John 3.16. This has been a few years ago now. And uh, they said that seven out of ten who knew John 3.16 couldn't tell them what it meant. So while it may be the most well known verse, knowledge doesn't mean understanding. I just want to tell you from the very beginning. I'm afraid that in churches across our land the biggest issue we have is we have knowledge without understanding. We have acknowledgement without a life that demonstrates what God has done. John 3.16 In the NIV it says it this way For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now here's what I want to do because it's kind of neat how this works out in God's way. I want to review what we've talked about the last three weeks And then move to the next phase. Because if you look at this passage, what we've talked about for the last three weeks can easily be seen in the first part of this verse. For instance, the first week. Does anybody remember what we talked about the first week? We're going to simply... That's what I thought. We're going to simply reflect. Say that with me. Simply reflect. All right? So verse 16 says, For God so loved the world... The first thing that we have to do when it comes to this time of Christmas is we reflect on the love and the character of God. Now, what this verse tells us is that God loved all. In fact, what we have in this verse is a declaration of the divine universal love of God. Of God. Now we know what the rest of the verse says, and the point of the verse is that He sent His Son, that He would die for us, that whoever believes in Jesus Christ shall be saved. And so the point of this verse is God's love was demonstrated through to us through Jesus. Now when you get over into the letters and the and the writings of the Apostle Paul and Timothy and uh, to Timothy and others, what you see is He says to us that God is love and that it is his love that led to sin Christ and that he was so loving that he did that when we did not deserve it and that we can only love God because he first loved us. Now, the point of all of that is there are defining characteristics of who God is. There is the fact that he is all powerful. There is the fact that he is all knowing. There is the fact that that he is in all places. There is the fact that that He is powerful beyond what we can imagine. There is the fact that He is holy, different, set apart, perfect. But right there at the top of those characteristic lists is that God is love. That He loves us. That He loves all. Now it says there, for God so loved the world. There's one scholar, a guy by the name of R.C. Sproul. Some of you may have heard of R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul says he wishes, the verse said, For God so loved the elect. The problem is that's not what it says. It says God loves the world. Part of the reason we do Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, part of the reason that we have missions as a part of what we're doing and have sent uh, people to Lynch, Kentucky, to work with Club 180, and we send people down to Chile, and we go to Brazil and send people to Brazil, and we have... Homeless into our building like we did last Sunday night is because we actually believe that God loves all people. Now, the truth is, we can say that without understanding that. And that the love of God should compel us to love others and to understand how much He loves us. 1 John chapter 2 will tell us. That this love of God sent His Son and that His Son died for our sins, but not just our sins, but the sins of the entire world. And so the first thing we talked about that first week was that we were to simply reflect. The second week, I'm not even going to ask you, I'm just going to tell you, we talked about that we are to simply give. Remember? And I gave you that list of all those places we might could give. Well, look here. For God so loved the world... That he gave. That he gave his one and only son. What we see in this passage is not just that God gave, but that God gave us the very best he had. He gave us the very best he could. He gave us the one thing that he treasured above all things. He gave us his son. Romans chapter 5 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. so not only do we see that God gave His best, we see that Jesus Christ gave His best. I mean, what more can He give than He has already given? He laid down His life for you and for me. Now, the implication of that is if God's given His best, If Jesus has given his best, then we ought to give our best. We ought to give our best. Uh, I was reading something this week, and um, there's a church that uh, the pastor has asked them to read through the Bible together next year. I thought it's a great idea. Somebody should have thought of that sooner, right? But somebody, he was answering questions, and one of the questions was, Well, how in the world, I'm busy, how in the world can I figure out time to read my Bible every day? This passage just kind of put it in perspective. He said that if you just break it down, there are 96 15-minute blocks in every day, right? There are four 15-minute blocks in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 24 times 4 is 96, all right? He says, if you can't give God one ninety-sixth of your day, what does that say about your commitment to Him? That puts it a little more perspective, doesn't it? I'll just make a confession to you as your pastor. There are days when if I'm real honest with myself, I'm asking the question, what is required for me to be in fellowship with the Lord today? In other words, what are the minimum requirements required today? And aren't you glad that God didn't ask about minimum requirements at Christmas? We ought to be giving our absolute best. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that we we're going to reflect. We talked about that we're going to give. We talked last week about simply trusting. And this kind of comes at the end of the verse. We're going to skip that whoever believes in him. But the point there at the end is that we will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, eternal life there does not mean some glad morning when this life is over. That's not what is meant there. Eternal life there does not mean when the role is called up yonder. That's not what's meant there. What is meant there is That here and now we can have the absolute greatest life that you can imagine. But it requires trusting in Him in all situations. In all situations. So let's get to the one for today. We talked about reflecting and giving and trusting But today I want to tell you that the most important thing you can do at Christmas is to simply believe. Simply believe. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That's a fact, right? It has happened. If you look at the end of that, there's another fact. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. So there's a fact on the front, there's a fact on the back. But the point is, none of those make any difference unless you believe in him. Now, the word believe is one of those words that's become so used that it has little or no meaning to what it originally meant. Um, I was watching uh, Christmas movies. One of the things that I love about this time of year, positive movies that are on all the time, Right? And one, I think in contrast it comes, I almost don't like watching anything on television at all during that week of Halloween. Because everything is morbid and, you know, and then you, and all, immediate, well now, you know, like November 1st, the 812 days of Christmas start or whatever on those stations. You know, they start those, they start, they, this year literally they had 25 day countdown to the 25 days of Christmas. That's 50 Days of Christmas, which I'm okay with. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be Scrooge here. I'm okay with those movies. But I love those positive movies. And one of the movies that our boys have come to enjoy and we enjoy watching is The Polar Express. Anybody watch The Polar Express? The Polar Express, I'm going to give away the ending because if you haven't seen it by now, um, it's, it's been out a few years, okay? At the end of The Polar Express, he punches the tickets for every child as to what they need in their life. And for one, it's to learn, because he not he's kind of cocky. And another is, is to trust people. And for the little main character, he simply types the word believe. And the point is that we live, for that little boy even at his age, in a jaded society that is cynical at every turn and that belief is often ridiculed. And he tells him to simply believe. Well, now, we're talking about something of an essence infinitely more important than what is depicted in that movie. And what is said to us is that we must simply believe. But let me tell you this. While we are to simply believe, believing is not simple. And I'm afraid that we, as Baptists, have tried to make it to where everyone thinks it's so easy. But you see, according to Scripture, belief is more than just intellectual assent. Belief is more than just an initial emotional response. Belief is more than just something in our mind. Belief is more than membership in a church. Belief is more than walking down an aisle. Belief is more than saying the sinner's prayer. Belief is more than knowing your ABCs. Belief is more than being baptized. Belief is more than just doing good. Now, before you think I'm about to go down a direction that worries you, I do believe that belief Is enough. But I also believe that what we've characterized as belief isn't always biblical. It says here, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Let me ask you a question. When in your life did you believe in God's one and only Son? I'm going to flesh that out in a minute. And I want you to think about it deeply. Because I'm not asking you when you said a prayer. I'm not asking you when you got dunked in the water. I'm not asking you when you said some things that you thought were the right thing to say. I'm asking you, when did you believe? When Paul, as the Philippian jailer, remember that story where Paul and Silas are in jail? And uh, they start singing praises. They have this midnight worship celebration. And the earthquake comes and the jail is kind of destroyed and they're freed and they don't run. And the jailer says to them, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to respond to Jesus Christ? Well, The New Testament, specifically the Gospel, gives us several pictures. I'm going to give you four today. And the first one is it gives us picture of following Jesus. These aren't going to be up on the screen. You just have to write them down or remember them. But it means to follow Jesus. To believe means to follow him. Now, in their day and time, that was a pretty straightforward kind of thing. Jesus walked up to the guys out fishing and he said, follow me. Now, at that point, their option is pretty clear. They can either stay in the boat or they can get out and go, follow him. He walks up to the tax collector, Matthew, and he says, follow me. And it seems pretty simple there. Well, that means that I've got to get up, quit collecting taxes, and follow Jesus. And so it was a simple kind of physical act there. But here's the commonality among all of the follow me declarations in the New Testament. It means that people had to give up something In order to pursue Jesus. They had to leave behind a vocation. They had to leave behind a family or friends. They had to leave behind property or wealth. Perhaps the most famous example of someone who didn't follow Jesus. Is the rich young ruler. And when Jesus says go and sell all that you have. And give it away. And then come follow me. What does he do? He won't give it up. Here's the basic essence of belief. It is saying in your heart. That you will do whatever Jesus Christ requires of you to do. Whatever it is. What it means is that if it means giving up my job, I'll give it up. If it means giving up my comfortable life existence, I'll give it up. If it means getting rid of things in my life, I give it up. Belief in its essence is following Jesus. Abandoning all for him. Realizing that Jesus offers me so much more that what I have now is small in comparison. And those people that reject Jesus Christ, what they are saying is I value what I have more than I value him today it's not as much an activity of walking out of a boat or a tax collection booth it is an attitude of life it is a general state of being that what I have in Jesus is more important than anything else I have and I will do whatever Jesus calls of me to do what have you given up for Jesus what have you abandoned for him The second picture that's in the New Testament is not just the following Jesus, but there's this great old Baptist word called repentance. Repentance is one of those words that's gone so far out of style that it might be back in style again. It's just a word that means to abandon what you're doing that is contrary to God's will and to start doing what God has called you to do. Um, Several people in the Old Testament and the New Testament when asked about how to follow God they give a short one word answer it is to repent now we can get into the semantics of that and that it literally means to change one's mind but last night we were uh, doing we've been doing Advent devotionals I mentioned that to you with our our boys we're moving towards Christmas and last night was John the Baptist Uh, it it, it was funny though because we've been we've been in the Old Testament for two and a half three weeks getting ready to this week of Advent and uh, (laughs) Luke uh, two days ago said, Daddy, when are we going to get to color Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus? Like, I mean, we're talking about Christmas. When are we going to get to do that? All right. And so last night, though we were talking about Elijah and John the Baptist. And how do you explain repentance to your eight and four-year-old? And so the most basic understanding I could come up with is this. It is to stop doing the bad things And start doing what God requires. That's it. Now you can get into, we spent, and this this class I had this past week was on theological understandings of conversion. And we spent three hours talking about what it meant to repent. Three hours. Now the sick thing about that is I kind of enjoyed it. But repentance is basically just stopping what is wrong, doing what is right. I, I use this illustration with Eli. I said, uh, Maddie is getting to the point where she is beginning to walk. A, not not really, but we like to think she is. We, if we hold her hand, she walks. But she looks like at any moment she could start to walk. She's standing there. She's ready to go. You know, she's kind of gearing up, but she just plops back down. All right? And I said, what if in a month, We had the fireplace lit and no screen on the fireplace. And Maddie was walking towards the fire. What would you do, Eli? He said, I would tell her to turn around. I said, exactly. I said, repentance is turning around when you're walking in the wrong direction. The biblical picture is that. That belief is not just, oh, I believe. That there is action involved. Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, all called people to repent. Which kind of leads to the last. I'm going to give you three today. Three pictures in the New Testament of belief. It is um, this idea of of following Jesus. It is this idea of turning from what you're doing. But there's also this understanding that it will involve actions in your life. Now let me say very quick, very clearly. The Bible teaches that we cannot earn by do enough to get our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. But it also says that we are saved unto good works. And here's what I think we have got to be aware of as believers who are worshiping in a Baptist church. Sometimes our doctrine, which is true and right, of once saved, always saved, leads us to give false assurance to people who were never saved in the first place. Billy Graham has said that 70 to 80% of people in our pews in America are unsaved. Tell me about your salvation. Well, when I was nine years old, I walked the aisle talked to the preacher, and he baptized me, so that means I'm saved. No, it doesn't. That doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you take some actions doesn't mean that you're saved. We've all known people that grew up in church, went to church, had, had moments where they maybe walked the aisle, they joined the church, they got baptized, and since that day, they have not shown a bit of fruit in 20, 30, 40, 50 years of salvation. Not a bit. And yet they think because they took a few steps, said a few words, and went underneath some water, that their soul is safe. The Bible teaches clearly that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your life will be different. It will be changed. And not just in ways that you can measure On an offering envelope or in a list of legalistic things to do. Your life will be different. There will be an energy that comes from a relationship that you have with the one and only son of the great and glorious God. There will be peace that passes all understanding. There will be growth and development. There will be a hunger for the things of God. There will be a desire to study and learn His Word. There will be a want to be a part of a fellowship of believers serving one another. There will be within you a un quenchable desire to share the Word of God with people that are in need. There will be a want to in your life to let people know who Jesus Christ is, however it may be, not any kind of uh, feeling of, well, I I wish they wouldn't ask for this, or I wish that I didn't have to do this, or do I have to have that? It would be a sheer desire to do whatever Jesus asks of you to do. And it is then and only then that you can have the assurance of eternal life. And I'm not talking about losing salvation. I don't believe that's the case. I I do believe that we've created a culture where people say the right words and do the right things. We tell them that they're saved. When the reality is, Scripture teaches that unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ there's no salvation so let me just ask you a simple question when in your life have you believed in Jesus when in your life have you said to him i will do whatever you ask of me to do. When have you said to Him that I am repenting of my past and I am pursuing you in the present? Is there evidence that you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ? The most tragic thing that could happen this Christmas no matter how many presents are given in your house, no matter how many trees are up, no matter how much you've simplified what you've done, the most tragic thing this Christmas would be one of two things. One is to have never even come to a place where you considered whether Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Christmas, is the man and the God that He says He was. That you've never even come to a moment when you've asked the deep, tough, Questions about Jesus, and you let this Christmas pass on by. The second tragic thing would be if you think because of something you did years ago that made no change whatsoever in your life, that you're somehow safe this Christmas. It's not my job to convict. If Billy Graham's statistics are correct, then there are people in this room who are not followers of Jesus Christ in a biblical sense. And it would be absolutely tragic to go another Christmas without Jesus.